The soul is not just a theoretical soul. It's, it's, we are all part of that soul, meaning if, if the soul of Judaism is not alive, each one of us is lacking life, is not fully alive. What's your barometer today that the path you're on is taking you, to use your own words, is, is not taking you to hell? Council Judaism is about bringing back the soul to Judaism. Right, I can see how um, going, to, like start embarking on this path of exploring these concepts in this way can create the cognitive dissonance. You just have to continue going. For me, it became a personal struggle that I couldn't understand, and it, it made a big conflict between me and the creator. I, I couldn't see eye to eye with him. Welcome to the In Search of More podcast. I am your host, Ellie Nash. Join me weekly on my quest for more, more from myself and more from this world. We'll see you on the other side. All right, welcome, Yaakov. Hello. I am sitting here with Yaakov Kirsch, the founder and creator of Conscious Judaism. That's right. Not the, the idea of Conscious Judaism, the channel uh, on YouTube. The YouTube channel, yes. <laughs> YouTube channel, Conscious Judaism. So um, give us a 60-second on what Conscious Judaism is, and then I'd like to kind of bring the audience back a little bit into um, how you got into it. Sure. So Conscious Judaism is an attempt to bring awareness to the nature of what we call today religion, or the ancient wisdoms that used to be basically what went between the, a family in order to keep the soul alive within the family. It was like a gift in order to have access to life. And this gift was originally given over you know, to, from, from parents to children. And then as the family got big, which became the Jewish family, the message started becoming more and more uh, confused. And now that we've been in exile for thousands of years, so we really, we have sort of a corpse. We have something that is telling us very important things, but the access to those things, the meaning of those things, the soul has been lost. And so conscious Judaism is about bringing back the soul to Judaism. So you feel like in many ways we've lost our way. We've uh... Definitely. Confuse the message. Absolutely, yes. Okay. It's not just my feeling. It's something that the Kabbalists and all those who have gained awareness are very strongly, you know, they, they describe it and they're upset about it and they're trying to see what's possible to do in order to rectify what went wrong. But something definitely went wrong. So meaning they've been talking about this problem for hundreds of years. Yes, yes, absolutely. Further back than Even that? thousands, yeah. Even thousands the of Zohar years. speaks about these problems already. The Zohar was written when? The Zohar was written according to our tradition by Rav Shem which is 2,000 years ago. And he was describing the issue then? And he was already describing that the situation is not good, but he had some access. And then his disciples, after he passed, were saying that even in that generation, it's, it's gone. It's the message, is, the soul is left. And then there were people, different people who had different levels of access to that soul. Like Darizal is a famous one that understood the Zohar in a way that is not, it's not human to be able to have such access to this wisdom. From the words in the Zohar, nobody can understand how he got to his conclusions and to the level of detail of how he's describing those realms. Right. And then we had the Baal Shem Tov, and all these were people who were trying to bring the soul back. Into, to, and this soul is not just a theoretical soul. It's, it's, we are all part of that soul, meaning if, if the soul of Judaism is not alive, each one of us is lacking life, is not fully alive. And so we're all lacking soul in that sense. So, so you're attempting to do something in the tradition and the likes of Roshim Be'echai, the Arizal. 
bringing attention Başkent to it. Uh, yeah, I don't feel that I'm at their level. I feel that I have gained some access to what they are speaking about. And I feel that if people would focus on it, then we would have a lot of people like that because that's our nature. It's not, they weren't, in, in, from the perspective of this world, it seems like they were the ones who were unusual. But from the perspective of how we were created to be, they weren't the unusual ones. They were the natural ones. We are unusual. Something has been manipulated in us. And that's why we don't have access to the soul. Okay, so should should we continue um, picking this apart, or should we go back a little bit into how you got into this? We can go back. It'll probably, you know, it will merge into the same conversation eventually. Right. Okay. So take us into my personal process. Yes. So I grew up. I grew up Hasidish. I grew up in Mansi. I grew up in Vizhnitz, and I received the body, I received the commandments, I received the external facade of what it is they were trying to tell me. But the way that it was being told was lacking soul, as, as became clear later on. So at the time, obviously, I didn't know that. I was struggling with it, trying to live it, make sense of it, become more of it. And I was trying to understand what is it that this great being that has the power to make me wants of me. And that was a very frustrating process. Yeah, that resulted in me searching in all kinds of places to find answers, and there wasn't really any. And even the questions themselves were were shunned. People avoided questions. People were afraid of questions. And I understand that for good reason, because these type of questions, existential questions, when they go unanswered, they can play with the soul. And who knows where it's going to go? If we have clear access to ourselves, to our heart, to our holiness, then we get, we will get the right answers. But that's already been corrupted. We've already been offended by life. And so we have no clear channel from where to get the right inspiration, from where to get the truth. So if I'm going to question what I receive, or at least the meaning of it, then I don't know where it's going to end up. I don't know where it's going to take me. I don't know if I'll have anything to lean on at the end of it. And so it's certainly more convenient emotionally to simply accept things the way that they are. But that only works until it becomes even more difficult emotionally to to abide or to continue that line of thinking and to live by it. And, so and that happened I, for you? It started already as a young teenager. As soon as I became sexually developed, I saw that there was an issue. I assumed that God is displeased with me and I, the, the information wasn't available as to, no, everybody's struggling with this. This is the way life is designed. You just have to continue going. For me, it became a personal struggle that I couldn't understand. And it, it made a big conflict between me and the creator, I, I couldn't see eye to eye with him. Right, so you're referring to th things like masturbation, pornography. All those, of it, just yeah. even the basic desire. Even if I didn't fulfill the desire, the fact that I desire it, and he designed it this way, and then, he, and then according to my understanding, he's against this, this type of activity, that is a conflict. That means that he doesn't have my best interest at heart, or we're not on the same page. We're not, we're not seeing things the same way. That was very clear. And for me... Right, it I, felt like a, a sick trick. I, it felt like something was off and I couldn't tell where. I couldn't put my finger on it. Right. Because everything seemed like facts. What I was being told seemed like a fact. My body seemed like a fact. The way that I was thinking and feeling seemed like facts. And I didn't know which facts here are negotiable. Where's the moving wall? <laughs> and so I had to really look at that. And I've, I looked at that over a couple of decades to try to really look at where did this go wrong? What, what is the part of, of this story that is not really in line with reality. And eventually I found it. So but before going there, professionally, you're not a rabbi. 
I'm not a rabbi. I'm just uh, I'm an accountant. I, I, uh, Even I you were an accountant. I was an accountant. I, 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 I have a CPA license. I, I, I know accounting. That's what I was but qualified today you don't, to do. But you don't practice. But I hardly practice. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm busy maybe a, a few hours a week uh, doing that. Most of my time I spend studying and teaching and trying to develop myself and understand better. And so this is a, it's a work in progress. I don't feel that I've arrived at a destination, but I feel like I've left the station. I'm, I'm, I'm traveling towards something. Incredible. I'm excited yeah. to, uh, to see where this conversation, where it goes. Yes. Okay, so as you're wrestling with these, um, with these concepts, did it take you outside of Judaism? So for a moment, I left religion. As a teenager, I, I was, it, it seemed unreasonable. It seemed impossible. It seemed like they were lying to me. And as far as I knew, they represent God. And so therefore, God was, was not okay anymore to me. He didn't seem reasonable enough to worship. Right. That's one of the, the challenges of being raised in a religious environment. I had the same problem is that hearing the word God, I couldn't separate it from the person who told me about God first. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And this is part of our teaching is that we were all B'Tselem Elohim, which means that our behavior reflects on God. We have no other way of knowing who God is other than by our experience on this planet. And our experience on this planet is designed and run by humans. And so to the extent that the humans have distance themselves from the real ways of God, then God seems like he's something else. And, and that's the scary part because getting into conflict with him has so many ramifications while we're in the body and even more after we leave the body. And it might be that the whole conflict came from a nuance, from, from a misunderstanding, from something little or from someone or from, or from a trauma or something that happened to us. But once our security, once our, our basic concept of self is violated, there is no telling to where that's going to lead until we heal that, we heal that wound. So as this um, took you outside of Judaism, right? Even though it's a very Jewish thing to search, of but outside of the, you know, the, the, the box of Judaism that was introduced to you early on, what, what did you look and sound like? What was, if I would have asked you a question then, how would you have described I assume that worldview? the world, I assume that the world is different than it's being described to me, even though I couldn't tell what it was. And I wanted to figure out for myself. And so I wanted to go into the big world and get to know it directly because I felt cheated. I felt like I was lied to. And I wanted to know what are they hiding from me? What, what's really going on over here? Why is this so complicated when to me, it feels like it could be fairly simple and straightforward. So Where's, where's the miscommunication? What am I missing here? What am I not seeing? Did that, the questions um, extend beyond sexuality? It went for the whole belief system, really. Because sexuality just made me question the entire belief system. Right. That kind of put the first question mark around the whole That proved to me that something was off. If that wasn't there, then I, I might say, well, they have a tradition. They received it generation after generation, and they know. And therefore, this is probably the will of God. But sexuality told me, no, this is not the will of God or God doesn't want you. You can't have everything. You can't have it all based on this belief system. In this belief system, you're going to have to choose if God is okay with you or maybe these people are not representing God. Right. Your personal experience inside your in was not man man matching your immediate external experience. The explanations were not matching reality. And I... I I started 
getting that feeling that the explanations are distant from God and reality is, is grounded in God. And so I have to follow reality and I cannot follow the explanations. And so... So where did it take you? So that took me first out. I, was, I, I didn't keep Shabbos, didn't keep religion. I, I, I just was searching. But it didn't last long. By the time I was 18, I had come to realize that this tradition didn't start in the last couple of hundred years. This goes for thousands of years, and there's a lot of depth, there's a lot of knowledge that's way beyond what people know today or understand or, or could express. And so I was being drawn towards that ancient portion of it. Like, what did it mean once? What did it mean to the kings who, who ran countries? What did it mean to, to the Jewish the kings prophets? Yeah. yeah. What did it mean when it was real, when it was being lived? and not as a tradition that we're just passing on that doesn't necessarily have to comply with reality. While you're a king running a people, you have to comply with reality or else it's going to fall apart within one generation. And so they, there had to be principles here. There had to be a truth that they were leaning on, that this was what everything was built on, what everything was based on. Why do you feel like that's different, the king um, running a country and some... Uh, someone running a community or a school? Because there's, the, there's no danger when you're running a community or a school that someone will challenge you. You're doing your own thing, and as long as the people within your community are believing in you, then it seems like you're, you know what you're doing. And so when someone's born into that community, he assumes that you know what you're doing. Right, then if someone leaves, they leave. It doesn't... It, 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 you're not no one's trying to overthrow right. it. You don't, you're not, you don't have to face reality until you die. And that's very dangerous. Meaning anyone who doesn't match the communal view, just, just push to so the side. So we blame him. He's right. the problem. And then we move on. But there's no check with reality. Meaning, how do we know for sure that what you're selling is accurate? And if I follow <laughs> right. your plan, I end up in heaven and not in hell. <laughs> Understand? It's a good way of saying it. And so that, yeah, and so that became very real for me. Because I, I was concerned that I'm going to hell. It wasn't a concern. At some point, I was quite certain I was going to hell, and I didn't understand why. What did I do wrong? Right. Okay, keep going. And so, and so it became clear to me that something was off, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And so I decided that I'm going to find out for myself. I'm going to read everything, and I'm going to try to understand everything and see where it's off, because it's certainly off. So when you say read everything within Judaism? Yes. Got it. Okay, so you go through a, a several-year search, but at some point in time you say, okay, this tradition survived thousands of years. There's something more within the tradition than meets the eye. I don't have to look through the whole world. I can go back to my tradition and, uh, and excavate it for, for and some I, truth. I'm look, I'm gonna when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look for answers. I have to liberate. So where'd you start? I have to liberate my inner child. So the beginning was Hasidus. Hasidus was where I found some inkling of normalcy, some inkling of... Hasidus, you mean? Starting with the Baal Shem Tov. I'm very connected with the Baal Shem Tov. My son is... I only have one son. He's a Bukhar, and I called him Yisrael. It's like B'ni Bukhar right. Yisrael, like uh -huh. the Pasik. Uh -huh. 
And I named her after the Baal Shem Tov because of the connection I felt. I felt like he saved my soul. If I wouldn't have seen him in Judaism, then I might have believed that what they told me as a child was true, and that would be the end of me. How, how is that? How did... Because he has compassion. He sees the Jewish soul as something that's worthy and that's something that the Creator desires, regardless of the actions, regardless of what it's going through, regardless of the thoughts and the feelings that it's experiencing. It's not based on that. It's not something conditional. You were introduced to the Baal Shem Tov, obviously, at a young age. Right, but for me, everything was very much uh, Svarim. Like, I was, looking in, I was looking at the Svarim and getting my sustenance directly from there. The people turned me off. The people's emotions were not healthy enough for me to feel warmth, to feel like they care, to feel like they understand. Got it. So you went straight to the book. So which Sefer, which book in particular? So with the Baal Shem Tov, for example, the Degel Machne Ephraim is a very good source of, well, because Baal Shem Tov alone didn't write. The Sefer of Baal Shem Tov is just a collection of different Svarim. And what, the main source is the Toldus and the Degel. Those are the two that we have the most of people who listen and hear directly from Baal Shem Tov. And so there I see expressions of how much God loves every individual soul, how much he cares about them, how much their, their success is important to him, how much it bothers him if they suffer. And this made me realize that he was living in a different place than the people that I grew up with. This is not the same religion. This is not the same understanding of what's happening here. And so I was very drawn to that. I was can, you, very can you point to, to one specific teaching of the Baal Shem Tov that you say, okay, here I'm, here I'm seeing it in the right. safer I'm so connecting to it, right. so there's and many, the people aren't living it. There's many teachings, but for example, the Baal Shem Tov says, if only we could love the biggest Russia, if we could love the biggest tzaddik like Hashem loves the biggest Russia. So that, that's an example of where he's saying that whatever love you have for a Jewish soul is nothing compared to how much Hashem loves every spark because it's his spark, it belongs to him. And so this made me realize that it can't be what they're saying. It can't be that if I naturally develop and I'm only feeling what he put in me, right? The, all, the, all the ingredients are his. It can't be that suddenly I'm at conflict with him. Someone lied to me over here. Got it. And, and there are many like that, there where he, where also the stories where he says to a tzaddik, like, if you want to know who is your partner next to you in Ghana, then you go to that town and you see that person and he goes there and he finds the most simple person who doesn't do anything except Shabbos. He takes his buddies to the bar and he buys them a shot. And, and he couldn't believe this big tzaddik. How could it be that this guy and me are sitting in the same spot? And it ends up being that the intention of that person while he was buying the shot that had to do with his childhood and how he saw Shabbos and what he thought God was, doesn't matter, but his intention was so pure that for that, he is equal to the guy who was constantly battering himself and breaking himself and investing all his time and energy in the same place. And yet, of course, his heart was different. His intentions were different. His intentions were much more of a struggle to keep in line. And so therefore, you see suddenly an equation that was never mentioned to us, that was never allowed for. Right, that's true. And so, and so the Vashem Tov sort of breaks, <laughs> he breaks the mold what I thought Judaism was in a way that I felt that if he was here, I would be very Jewish. I would be willing to <laughs> give myself to this all the way. And the fact that he is not here and the fact that it's being misrepresented means that even if I keep it the way that they told me, I'm not safe. It's not safe to do what they're telling me to do because it's not true. And Vishnus comes from a tradition after the Baal Shem Tov. It's from some, the Baal Shem Tov. Some, some Rabbi Yankov Kapul Chosid. So it's different than most of the Hasidus that come through the Magid Mimezich. The Magid Mimezich was the main disciple of the Baal Shem Tov that took over. 
and Serbiaka Bukhosta is a different. And this is why you'll find that prayer is the most emphasized part of the religious service in Vizhnitz. That's because Serbiaka Bukhosta was the Baltfila of the Balshemta. Whereas the Magid, who was more intellectual, was much more learned and much more developed in that way. And so most Hasidic Shiswaram have a lot of Kabbalistic explanations and depth. Versus vision, it's where it's supposed to be a lot of emotion, a lot of yearning towards the divine and expressing that in prayer. Got it. So that, and then in front of the Baal Shem Tov, you kind of went further. So then I was looking in the Swaram, uh, in the Chazish Swaram, to find that, that line, that, that perspective that I saw in the Baal Shem Tov, that in the connection. more recent form or the ones going further back? I looked everywhere. Uh, the, the very recent ones don't have it. The very recent ones, there's a difference I find between Sadiqim who speak from their own experience and between Sadiqim who speak because they read something somewhere. And they're combining and they're creating and, and that's an intellectual process. And I respect that, but it's very different than a Sadiq that's speaking from his heart because of his experience, because the books already took him to a place where he is now in touch with something real and he's speaking from there. And so the only one that can give me some type of opening to something more real is if he's had access himself. Otherwise, he's reading the same things I'm reading. I know what it says. And okay, he combined it this way and he came to this conclusion based on that and based on this, but it's the same story. It's the same thing. We need something real that hasn't been said that can only be said by a heart that's alive. And that I find specific tzaddikim that had access to that. One of the tzaddikim that became very close to my heart and through this channel is how I opened up to the Kabbalah and eventually I understood the deeper swarm was the Matrias of Leiner from Ishbitz, the Ishbitz Rebbe. The Ishbitz Rebbe was different than the, the, the Hasidists around him. He was much more... Um, I wouldn't even call it lenient because there's a strictness to both sides. It's, it's not about whether you're strict or not. It's about what are you strict about? And to some, they're strict about God, meaning that this is what God wants. And they're very strict to make sure that he gets what he wants. Some are more strict about humans, saying the fragile ones in the relationship are the humans. We have to be strict to make sure that the humans don't get hurt. <laughs> and so, and the Ishbitz they emphasize is more on the human side. It's like, okay, God did what he did. It's true. And he has the power to do it. And he knows what he's doing. But we need to be in tune and we need to save the human soul so that it doesn't turn up in a war, in a conflict against the source. Right. Which it can't win, obviously. That destroys the soul. Rabbi uh, Harry Rosenberg, I spent the Shabbos with him once, you know, from Israel. He said to me, uh, I'm machmir to be mekel. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so we're machmir in Sakhar and this was also the way of the Baal Shem Tov, where the Baal Shem Tov went against any types of like uh, limitations or discipline on the body or not, or not eating. or Right, the ascetic uh, lifestyle. He, all, all the things that the ascetic lifestyle also needs to understood because in the time when it was popular, it was people who were blissful. They were blissful when they were doing it. They weren't torturing themselves. People misunderstood that to mean that if you, ha if you make yourself suffer, then that's pleasing in the eyes of God. But the aesthetic lifestyle was about making the spirit more powerful and so balancing out sort of the body versus spirit. And they were in a state of extreme bliss. They were in a state of attachment. They were, they were beyond earthly life. And so they were very happy about being with their soul. And so therefore, whatever they did, which might seem to us like they were causing themselves suffering, wasn't the purpose and it wasn't even their experience. 
And so there's right. I mean, you have people now. You have whole movements now of, um, you know, within you know more modern culture of putting someone through difficult experience, whether it's Wim Hof, the the freezing right, cold, or right, right. you have the semen retention movements, or it's, the stoic it, uh, lifestyle, which they're trauma, doing it, right. but it's, in it's, a very pleasurable way. They're going, they're going towards something that would usually be traumatic, but in a mindset that opens them up to conquering trauma in a way. Right. To, so you're to, saying the ascetic lifestyle is, than that. Yes. The ascetic lifestyle is the same way. It's, it's a deeper, yeah. It, it, there's also a spiritual element where they're already in touch with who they were before they came into the body, and they're working for that. And so therefore, they're not causing themselves suffering. They're causing to something suffering, something that's beneath them. It's hard to describe, but that the the experience that they have is like is like what they are is something bigger and indestructible, and so therefore they can go to these places and come out unharmed. Now, as you're talking, I'm thinking about certain. You know, imagine I, I love the ice bath, right? For mm -hmm. example, I like mm -hmm. doing it. But imagine I forced my child oh, to do that. Yes. You know, so I get tremendous. Yes. Enjoyment yes, exactly. I can talk, exactly. Do it to me. This is good your for child, you. Forget about you forcing your child. Imagine your child seeing you doing it and seeing how you come out fresh and you're so excited, and then somehow creating a belief about that, that this must be done before this and this, uh, whatever it is, whether it's right. a ritual or something. I have to do an ice bath before a certain ritual. And then he's not feeling well, or he's sick, or it's difficult for him, or his body takes it differently. And he's just forcing himself, forcing himself to do it. So obviously he's causing harm in the place where you are causing healing, with exactly. using the same tool. Right, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, so you're saying uniformly this is your understanding of the ascetic lifestyle that was very popular before the Balshanta's time. It was done in that way. It was done with... That was the context. And even in that context, the Balshanta said that the soul that resides within the body has been so weakened by all this exile, by thousands of years of exile, the intergenerational trauma is increasing to such a degree that there's no longer room for that. It's just like, for example, we had before we had the, the Mishkan, we had Bomas. Everybody could bring a, a sacrifice wherever they wanted. Then came the Mishkan, and then we were trying to unify how we do the service. And then Bomas became something that's not pleasurable to, to the source. It no longer connects to the source. Bomas is to, to bring a sacrifice not in the collective space designated by the by, by the Mishkan, but everybody on their own. They would just find a rack and they would set up shop and they, they would bring a sacrifice there. Understood. And so this sacrifice was pleasant in the time of the patriarchs and it became unpleasant once there was a nation and things were organized. And so, and so it goes that services that are suitable to the soul at some point in history can go out of favor later on. And there the constantly needs to be the one who is alive that can tell us those things. So what would you, can you give an example of that now? There's things that we practice, rituals that we practice that you may think that um, shouldn't to, be? Today, today it's, it's mostly about the approach to the rituals. That's, for example, if we say that a certain ritual is pleasing, it doesn't mean that everybody who's doing it is pleasing. It means that there was a certain intention to this ritual that if we understand what we're doing and we give ourselves over to it, then there will be relief for the soul. But if we just do the ritual with the external shell of it and we don't have a deeper connection, then in a way we are slaughtering the soul. We're removing soul because soul is intelligence. 
Intelligence wants to reside in us. Intelligence cannot reside in us as long as we don't understand what's happening, obviously. But if we do things and we don't know what we're doing and we don't inquire, that removes intelligence. That makes us less intelligent. And so we were meant to be an intelligent people. We're supposed to be the wisest and most intelligent of all the nations. Which means that everything we do has a deep intention, has a deep meaning, has a purpose, has something that it tells us about the nature of the soul. And so if we remove that, then not only is it not Torah, not only is it not teaching, but it becomes the opposite of that. It becomes an obstacle to it. Right. So, you, so you're not preaching a specific action. You're talking about a mindset. We have to start questioning. A That's lot of where things. it all starts, because spiritually, our location is in the world of thought, in the world of emotion. And so when we're doing spiritual work, that's the main work. The actions are just tools in order to affect emotion and to affect mind, to affect thought. And so when we're going to make a change, if it's going to bring us closer to the real meaning of things, it has to be a change internally, a change in how the heart feels and how the mind looks at things. It's not about the action. The action can be a tool that brings us there or the tool that keeps us there or the tool that helps us remember it over thousands of years when we don't even know anymore what, we, what it is we're connecting to. Understood. Okay, so keep keep taking me through your journey. Right, so from Bashem Tov, I find Ishbitz. Rapsodek HaKohen Milublin is a Talmud of the Ishbitzer, and he's this big genius that started off with the regular like Torah, the way that they used to learn it, with the, the pilpul and, and all that trying G to... Give time periods when you're talking about Rapsodek HaKohen was uh, born 200 years ago, yeah. and uh, the Bashem Tov was about between 250 and 300 years ago. So Rapsodek HaKohen is already, as far as teachers and disciples, he's like seven generations after the Baal Shem Tov. Yeah. And so he is, he grows up more like a regular Lithuanian genius. And he was a huge genius by the age of 15. He was already in correspondence with the, the, the great geniuses of Klaal And at the age of 25, he meets the Ishbitze and his whole life changes. He just becomes a different man. And then he, he starts later, after the Ishbitzer passes, he was by the Ishbitzer for seven years, the Ishbitzer passes away, and so he goes into, he's, he's by himself, he didn't want to become a teacher at that point. And at that time he wrote Svarim, he wrote a lot of Svarim. And he didn't release any of them while he was alive. He locked them up in his box, and no one ever saw them until after he passed. And in those books he reveals a lot of secrets. and. The, the, the way that he does it is by combining the Gemara, the things that we know, the things that we're familiar with, with the Zoyar, which is the hidden version, which is the explanation of things, which is why are things the way that they are. And the whole, the whole revelation really of, of, that we're looking for, the whole revelation that they're bringing to us is that it's all out of context. The heart gives context. And so you can never understand the Torah without heart because you will never have the right context for it. And, so and by heart, you mean? Heart means that you're emotionally invested and attached to the words and you know how they are guiding you towards the being that resides within all of us. Is there an example that comes to mind as your... Of what, of what heart means? No, of a, a teaching maybe from Rapsalik of Lublin that combines... I don't want to put you on the spot, but, but just wonder if there's an example of teaching where he takes something that maybe we understand in terms of the corpse of it, right? The body of it, the action right, of it, right. and how he infused. So I'll, I'll go, the, there's the famous example from the Ishbitzer that resulted in the Mea Shiloh being burnt. 
And what being burnt? The Me'ashilach, the Sefer that the Ishbitzer wrote, okay. was burned in the streets when it came out. Oh, wow. And it relates to Zimri ben Salu and, and Kazbi and the story of Pinchas. And so when we learn, the regular interpretation is that Pinchas was 100% right, Zimri was 100% wrong, and Pinchas did the right thing, and therefore he got rewarded. According to the Me'ashilach, Pinchas was young. He misunderstood the situation. This is why Moshe didn't step in. And Zimri wasn't wrong. And this, this leans on something with Arizal, where Arizal says that Zimri was a reincarnation of Shechem ben Hamar. And because Shechem had such a desire for Dina, so this desire towards a Jewish woman resulted in Zimri being born as a Jew. And Cosby had a spark of Dina, because Dina was, went out of Judaism and then she desired Shechem, so she came back as Cosby. So there was some type of a cosmic process that was playing out of here that Pinchas didn't understand, he didn't have access to. And Moshe knew, and he wasn't sure how to interact with the situation. And so the reason Pinchas got such a tremendous uh, reward for what he did was because of his tmimus, because his intention was so pure. So his intention was pure, seeing that, oh, there is a deterioration, and therefore the the respect that people have for very important things and the way that they look at life is going to deteriorate. And so I have to step in, I have to do something, even if it's going to cost me my life. And so that intention is what resulted in the reward. So by looking at the Kabbalistic explanations here between the Ariza and the Meshilach, we're getting a whole different angle of the story that was not visible from mm -hmm. the Pshat. And people have a difficult time with this because this is what they're used to. This is what they've been living on. They make decisions based on these stories. And it's a lot about what you emphasize and how you look at things. We have, we have a similar situation with the stories in Pasha's Vayeshev, where you have the story with Yehud and Tamar. Yehud and Tamar is a story that, okay, we don't know what to do with it. And then comes the story of Yosef. And so give a little information just in case some of the audience is not understanding. Okay, so Yehud and Tamar is the, is, is the story where there's the son of Yaakov. He's one of the, the Shvatim. He's the leader. He's the king. And then they sold Yosef. So now he's, he's, he's been, I guess, removed from his high rank. And he's without a wife. And he travels to take care of his business. And on the way, he sees this woman. And he doesn't know who she is. And he is with her. And it ends up being... Tamar, Tamar was his daughter-in-law already twice because his first son died. She married the second son and now she was waiting for the third. She saw she's not getting the third. So she did this trick because she knew that she needs to get seed from the house of Yaakov in order to bring some very important things into the world, which obviously resulted in David HaMelech and Shlomo right. and, and eventually Mashiach. But on its face, it seems like someone... On its face, it seems like Yehuda just went with a prostitute. He even promised her pay, and then he sent the pay. It was like a very, it seems like a very base transaction. And this we see in general in the theme of Mashiach, that Mashiach comes through all these different uh, questionable circumstances, like Lot and his daughters, like David and Bathsheba, and like these types of stories where things seem off, and yet this is the path that's going to bring the soul of Mashiach, who is going to explain to us why things seem off and why the world was created in such a way that things can be off or can seem off or how can we bring a, a soul into the world and say that this is illegitimate how can a soul be illegitimate so all these right. things Mashiach has to address and we're not mature enough to to address these questions so the seed for what's to come has already been planted and it's there but we're not developing those 
ways of thinking because we don't, we don't understand to that. We need someone who is really alive that will be able to reveal to us the real meaning of things and how the puzzle all comes together. But the point that I'm making is that right after comes a parsha of Yosef and Petifar and, and the wife of Petifar, and there Yosef is being tempted by the wife of Petifar and he somehow manages to overcome and then he's in prison for 10 years, for 12 years, and then he goes out right. and he becomes the king. And so we will find many who will take this story of Yosef and start bringing out Lemaise, how this is supposed to reflect in your life and how important it is that you're careful and all these things, which they have their place. But then again, right before that, there was another story who made the exact opposite point. Where is that in the narrative? Where is, where does, how does that make sense with everything that's going on? And so, this, so, so in Pshat, people get to pick and choose what they focus on based on what they're used <laughs> to and what makes them feel comfortable. The Kabbalah doesn't look at things that way. In the Kabbalah, if something doesn't make sense, that's the first place to focus. That's the first place that's testifying that you're wrong. Because all of them together are true. And only where the place where all of them together are true, that narrative is the real narrative. Any narrative where some of the parts don't fit is not real. It's not real even for the parts that do fit. When you say all of them are true, meaning all of them have a, a kernel of truth or all of them are pure? All of them are telling us something that is essential to knowing the core. And without this piece, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. So if I don't understand the story of Yehuda and Tamar, I certainly don't understand the, the story of Yosef and the wife of Petifar. I can't claim to know, oh no, but this story I understand. This is what it says and this is what it means. No, if Yehuda and Tamar are not understood, Yosef and Petifar are not understood. Because right. it's the same explanation that somehow strings in everything and says, this is the truth. Therefore, all these things are in place. Therefore, everything is where it needs to be. And so that truth needs to become clear. And that truth is, is what has been hidden from us. So as you started finding these, these truths, what did it do for you internally? In the beginning, when I was searching, like for the from the age of 18, let's say, till the age of 30, somewhere in my early 30s, 32, 33. Today you're how old? 40. And so in the beginning, it made me more and more uncomfortable, more and more anxious. Because mm. I was realizing that everybody was off the derech, basically. The Haredim are off the derech, and I don't know the derech. I know it's wrong, but I don't know what's right. And I was scared because I... I know that this is real. I have no doubt that this is real. I have no doubt that what Chazal told us is real. I don't think they, they threatened us, Tam, because, you know what I mean, to, to make us conform. There's something behind each threat. And so I, I felt intimidated by, by what I'm seeing, and I didn't see a way out. And this was making me more and more not well. And so I, I had a lot of anxiety. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I, I wasn't functional. You felt like you didn't have a, uh, a role model. I didn't have a role a model. I didn't have anything to lean on. I didn't have anything that can give me comfort and make me feel safe. And, and I was keeping everything. Yeah, I was three times a day. I was davening. I, I was doing it all, but I did not feel safe at all. I felt like when I get up there, I think I missed something. And I think that my soul is going to be upset. And eventually I found out that I was right. Eventually I found out that anxiety was not my demons running after me. Anxiety was my soul crying. My soul was telling me, you are so wrong, and I don't know how to explain it to you. And so there was something real in my fear. 
And it wasn't, it wasn't the other side. The other side was what I recorded as a child. Now it was the right side that was crying out. And it was saying, how can you believe these things? How can you live like this? How can you go forward and build a life and tell your children something that you know is not like that? It's very, very different. How do you know you're right? Because I can prove it from, from the same place that they prove it, which is our, our books, our Torah, our Svarim. It's very clear. And in the Zohar itself, and in the Kabbalah after, they all cry about the people who learn Pshat and don't connect it to the wisdom. And they say that those who do that are extending the exile, causing suffering, and they're better off not learning at all than wow. to learn just Pshat without it leading to Soid. This is what it says? That's what it says in the, in the Zohar, in the Tikkun Zohar. So how do you... How do you explain that this is happening in traditions that were created specifically to refute this? Meaning, the Baal Shem Tov came around in order to refute this idea. Mm -hmm. And then he had disciples who had other disciples who created communities. Mm -hmm. And what you're describing is, you're saying, is in conflict with him whose sole purpose was to... Yes. Yeah, and he, and he described that too. There's a story of him. He was with his disciples in the forest and... He walked up to a tree and he started banging his head in the tree until there was blood running all over his face. And they couldn't believe what they're seeing. They're like, this is the Baal Shem Tov. This guy doesn't get faced by anything. His emunah, his betochen is beyond what anybody could imagine. And what is bothering him like this, that he can do something like that to himself? And he said that he saw a vision of what's going to happen with his movement a few generations down the road that people are going to use the power that he gave to an individual in order to enlighten the masses is going to be used just as a way of having power, wielding power. It's going to go into the hands of the Erev Rav. The Erev Rav always means the people who misunderstand the Torah, the people who think that just the actions are enough. Those are the Erev Rav. That's a very Goyish way of looking at the world. A Jewish way is to see heart, is to see soul, is to see connection. The Goyish way is just measure the actions. Like we say, right? that's the physical right. part of things. That's the heart, that's the expression of the Pneumius. And so Judaism is all about Pneumius. And when it goes towards the, the external, we call it the Erev Rav. And so the Erev Rav are going to be in charge and they are going to be the cause of why the Geula cannot come. And this resulted in him being in such distress. Got it. Can you talk more about the uh, Erev Rav? It's an interesting concept. Like yeah, where so it originated, what it, of how it first manifested, and how you see it today. So the, yeah, the Zohar speaks a lot about the Erev Rav. And the Erev Rav goes back to the original sin. And so when Adam Arishan didn't protect himself from evil in the right way, evil entered his mind. And now he started to deliberate between what is he right here? Is he wrong here? He started arguing about what already is. And that's obviously a conflict with the Creator. So whenever we are judging what is, we're somehow getting into a conflict with the Creator. And this becomes very delicate because after, the, after we ate from the Eitzadas, this is a legitimate uh, activity of discriminating about what is, if it's coming from the Eitzadas or it belongs to the Eitzachayim. Right. Was it the original intent or is this something that manipulation caused? Right. And so it became legitimate. But before there was evil, this was not a legitimate way of thinking. If he made it, this is the exact way it needs to be.
People try to use it today also, but the Torah doesn't use it that way. The Torah motivates us to, to fight for the good and to choose good and to, and to be involved in the struggle and not to say, oh, if he made it this way, it's okay. I'm sitting back and I'm letting it happen. Right. So before the Eitzadas, that would be the only right approach. After the Eitzadas, we have to overcome the evil that we've created. And it doesn't mean the individual. It's a collective thing. We come into a world that's filled with evil and we have to learn how to identify evil and how to go against evil. And so now, um, once, once this happened, the soul, the collective soul of humanity was fragmented because parts of it went against reality, part of it is for reality. And this we have as an individual. Every individual has this conflict happening inside of him. Part of him is for reality, part of him against reality. Part of him likes himself, part of him hates himself. Part of him wants more life, part of him doesn't even want to be here. with love. And so this is, this is from the Eitzadaz, this is the effect. And this comes out in moodiness. So we have sometimes we're in a good mood, sometimes we're in a bad mood. Good mood, the toif of the Eitzadaz is in charge, and bad mood, the Rav of the Eitzadaz is in charge. But behind all of this is the soul, that's the Eitzachayim, it's the life force itself that's committed to life regardless, unconditionally. So Klali Sol represents the Eitzachayim. Klali Sol represents this source that's committed to life regardless, and therefore he doesn't judge based on what's coming out. All the, all the texts that we have with laws and with ways of behaving and what we're motivating are not about that we should be judging. It's about directing us so that we know what is our best option. And, and this is the nature of, of the Midah of Klaus. The Midah of Klaus is called Rachamim, which is Tiferes. And what Tiferes means is that you strike a balance between the extreme right, which is Chesed, where everything is permitted and everything goes and everybody's okay and everybody's accepted, to Gvura, which is there is judgment. This is right and this is wrong. This person's in, this person's out. And so once there starts to be this, th these two extremes, the Midas Rachamim is going to, to balance it out. And what does Rachamim say? Rachamim says, I'm not going to go to Chesed where there's no rules and everything's okay. Why? Because then I'm not improving anything. Things are not going to get better. I'm going to go to a place where I recognize the laws, I recognize what should be, but I only apply it in order to better the soul. And so when I'm looking at a soul, I can have a whole list of rules of, let's say, what you can do better. But not everything, if I tell you, I'm going to help you. And so the Midas Rachamim is going to say, which parts of the Gevurah can I apply here in order to strengthen the soul, in order to improve the soul, in order to make things better? And so it's not that I do away with the, with the laws. I don't get rid of the rules. I know the rules, but I apply them in a way that's good for the soul. I remember what the purpose is. The purpose is to help reality. The purpose is not to show how well I know and that I know better than you or that you did wrong. All that is puzzle from Mitzad the Midas Rachamim. The Midas Rachamim says the rules are here to make you perfect. And so, so you're saying the rules come from the side of Gvura. Rules come from Gvura and love comes from Chesed and Rachamim somehow combines right. So in one, everything goes. Yes. In the other, don't move without looking here. Right. Right. Let's balance it. Let's balance it, which is what's the location? What's the, what's the best scenario? If, how do I balance both sides in order to get the best result for, the, for what's at hand? So it's no longer theoretical. It's no longer just one big reality that, that you have to somehow apply 100%. You have to develop a soul over here. Developing a soul means giving the rules to the soul in a way that builds it, in a way that it gains confidence, in a way that it becomes more. 
And so this is, this is the whole Torah that was built on this Midah, on the Midah Zerachman, to know the truth and to know how to apply the truth. This is why, for example, we have the, the Mishkan, the Beis Amikdash. The Beis Amikdash says, I'm going to tell you the rules and I'm going to hold you to them, but I also know that you're going to fail. And so I need to have some type of a mechanism so that after you fail, you can come home. And that's the Karbanas. And that's the Karbanas, and that's the Kahanim. And the, the whole avoid was to reattach Klal Yisrael to, to the source. And so whatever is going on in Klal Yisrael, the coin's job is, how do I convince him that he's still attached to the source? Otherwise, we've lost the soul. And that's the purpose of the Beis Amikdash. The Beis Amikdash is here to unite the two worlds. And this is what we've lost. We don't have who can unite the two worlds. So when someone gets into a state of guilt, someone feels like they've offended, they don't have anything that's going to bring them back. Even Matsuyam Kippur, you can ask them how they feel. Some part of them still thinks that the Creator is still upset with them. And so they don't have a mechanism that can cleanse them of what took place over there, of this friction, of the, of the conflict that started entering the soul. And this is what perpetuates into real evil, eventually. If we allow this to fester, like in my own life, I had doubts about if I'm good or bad, right. but eventually it just meant I have to leave everything. I can't live with this. If there was a priest, if there was someone playing that role of uniting the souls with the source, then I would know, okay, this is normal. So I said the is priest is um, the most compassionate, the most kind. The, right. The priest, the coin represents the Mirza Chesed. That's all over the Kabbalah. That's, a, right. that's something established, yeah. Okay, and that's what it is, that it's reconnecting someone despite... So the Chesed is happening. the priest and the Levi is the Gvura. And so Moshe comes from the Levi, so he represents the rules and he gives it to us. And, but the, the Mid of Aharon is Ov Shalom Vered of Shalom. So he's always making peace between everyone and always bringing the pieces together. And so that's the chesed and the gvura, and the, and the tiferes is Yisrael. The, the, the reality that lives is the Yisrael, that these two midas are balancing right. out. So this hard line communication where there's no room for failure, you're either perfect or you're unwanted. And so now, so here it's we come distortion. back to the Erev Rav. Right. So the Erev Rav represent the Eitzadas Toivara. And Yisrael, the authentic Yisrael represents the Eitzachayim. Etzachai means unconditional commitment to life. And when someone has that, he's always alive. Even while he's dying, he's alive because it's not about living in a body or anywhere else. It's about a complete commitment to existence and whatever it brings and whatever it offers. And so there's already something that has given itself over with love to the process because this is who I am and I can be nothing else and I don't want to be anything else. I'm just expressing what already is. Versus the Eitz which comes in to judge and to decide this is right, this is wrong, this belongs here and this belongs there. And so this is, at the core, this is the difference between an authentic Jewish soul and the Erev Rav. So now what happens? Avram Avinu wants to inherit the purity and he, he makes a deal with God that he's going to have his children go through a purification process in Egypt. Egypt represents the Eitz Adas, and his children are going to experience the depth of despair created by this type of thinking, by this type of, of conceptualizing reality. And then they're going to know that they want something else, that they must have, they must be something else because their soul cannot, it cannot survive with this type of mentality. So basically the wrong way of thinking taken to an extreme, his people agreed, okay, I'm going to see it and experience it, live it. Right, right up to, so they say, like, Memtesh yes. Aritumah, right, right up to the And this is what's going to purify the seed, meaning that a seed is all the instructions for the entire being. So 
Right now, everything that I have access to, everything that I have developed was already there in the seed when I was conceived. And so from other Mauritian, something went wrong with the seed. This is why the first human being was a murderer. Something went very wrong with the way that they, they conceptualized what they're doing and how they did him. And then when he came out, they knew it. And then other Mauritians separated from his wife for 130 years because he was scared to create another one. Eventually, he, he, he realized that the world needs it, and he came back, and he created Chase. From there was the foundation of the world. But this seed wasn't yet clean. It wasn't the way that it was before the sin. And so Avram Avinu agrees that his seed is going to go through purification. So the first three levels was Avram Yitzchak Yankiv. In Avram, Avram was the Mirza Chesed. So he separated from the seed everything in the Mirza Chesed that was impure, and that, that was Yishmal. So Yishmal comes out and represents whatever was wrong with the mid of Avram within the seed, and Yitzchak represents whatever was right. With. So then Yitzchak, because he represents what's right, he goes to the other extreme, and he says, Gvura, I'm right, everybody is wrong, and therefore I have to be my way and only my way. And so from there comes out also psoilis, comes out also things that are not they don't belong in the seed in order for there to be a perfect world. And so therefore it's Esau and Yaakov. And the same, this plays out with the religions later, right? Where Islam represents Ishmael and Christianity represents Esau. And so all this is already... It seems like it would be the reverse, no? In what sense? Islam is more strict and uh, Christianity seems more... Well, like anything goes. Right, we're seeing it today, so we're not getting the full flavor of things. But even today, we can see it because it goes to the attributes. It's not based on the rules and the behaviors. This gets influenced by so many things, and so the original Christianity was all about restriction and all all against human pleasure, like the the aesthetic behaviors that we discussed previously. This was a, a staple in Christianity, so much so. Right, the priest not marrying. That, oh, there you go. They looked at human pleasure as something that is offensive to God. And so therefore, in order for, for God to be manifest on earth, he had to come in without a father, meaning nobody had pleasure bringing him in. That somehow redeems his soul. That makes it better. And that's the opposite of Judaism. As we know, Like the high priest has to have a wife, right. has to have a backup wife, because it's so important to be able to balance the spiritual and the physical. And so that alone... That, just that thing itself, that they're against procreation, that already puts them in the side of Esau, which is the Malcham which represents what's against life. But beyond that, if you look at the behaviors, if you look at Europeans, Europeans are very stable, but they're bitter, they're turned off, they're not really alive. They don't know how to love and they don't know how to hate. They don't know how to be very friendly and they don't know how to be very angry. They're much more like straight line, always the same, pretty much, a little up and down versus the Arabic cultures, which are no discipline, extreme love, extreme kindness, extreme you know, excitement, and then the other side, murderous, crazy, like there's no, there's no balance between the two. So this relates to how the heart is stabilizing itself. With the, with the Midas Agvura, it's more of a constant symptom, a constant discipline of never going out of line. And the Midas Chesed, which means no restriction, means that whatever comes into the heart gets right, full access. Of, right, transmitted passion. And so, transmitted uh, passion. Yeah, right, so, right. so in that, and there, there you can see sort of that this valve is completely open and this valve is completely closed. So that's like the right and the left. Um, but in the teachings, in general, uh, we find that the original Christian teachings were all about 
spreading their religion over the world and spreading it by the sword. And that's exactly what they did. Like all the places that they conquered was conquered by the sword. And this is what gave the religion access to the world. So there again, you have the Malachamovis. That's in, the Malachamovis has his, has his duties, right? And he's here to balance the world. So when we invite him, he comes. But the ones who carried out these crazy massacres and, and somehow thought that they're pleasing God by doing that was a, was a Christian concept. And in the Muslim world, they, they have a certain looseness when it comes to sexuality or when it comes to how they live their lives or how they, how they like interpret what's taking place and what should be taking place. It's very loose. There's no, there, there isn't the same level of structure. There isn't that, that level of enforcement. And so most of the countries that have the, that belief are Arabic countries. You know, there are some other countries that have it, but it's not like the Christians that just went out to, to strange people that they didn't know or recognize and just, you have to accept our way or right. else. So it's, it's very, different mentalities that have to do, obviously, with the Midas. Okay, and then you're saying but, the third father, Yaakov. So going back to Yaakov, Yaakov is called Mitosa Ishlemo. He has a complete uh, heritage because there was no more any psoilus in him as far as the, the sides. He was the middle. But his children still needed some type of a process in order to cleanse themselves of the different... Like what was wrong in Avram and was wrong in Yitzchak was no longer a soul when it came to Yaakov, but it was still sparks of soul. And there we see the, brother, the brothers getting into, an, into conflict. And some, some explanations of, of that was that the brothers thought that Yosef was the Esav and the Ishmael of their family. Oh, interesting. So that's why they felt that they, that they need to push him out. And this had to do because he was bringing the ne their negative sides. He was bringing that up. So, so they assumed that he's from the Etzadas and the whole process. But what ended up happening was that we went through this period of slavery. And afterwards, we were, we were prepared. We were ready. But Moshe made a mistake in the context of things. But this is how it's described. Moshe made a mistake. Moshe thought <coughs> that it will be more glory, more respect for the divine if we allow the other nations that want to join Klaus to come along with us. And that's where the Ediraf started. That was the beginning of the deterioration, which meant that we never really took off. We never really left the starting point. So how did he do that? What was the... So people wanted to join. And there were a lot of people, like we had 600,000 Jews between the ages of 20 and 40, but we had these different shittas. The, according to, the, to one shitta, there was 3.6 million Erev Rav that came along for the ride. So, so Erev Rav were what? Converts? Other, other, yeah, other nations. Other nations that saw the miracles, that saw what happened to Klausul and said, we want to join this tribe. We want in without going through the purification process. But, they, but their seed was not yet pure. Their, their attributes were not pure. They weren't ready for what was about to happen. So he thought, he thought we can handle it. He thought we can handle it. Hashem didn't think we could handle it. And so that's where, that was the beginning of him not going into Eretz Yisrael. Gotcha. And so by Matan Torah, we received the Etzachayim, we received access. And to your life. view today of, of converts and coming into the... Uh... So they add, and, and, and there's, a, there's a price to it. But at this point, there's not that much of a difference because meaning that as far as the behaviors and the teachings, we teach non-Jewish teachings today. 
in, in the Haredi world. And so when a convert comes in, he can, he can catch up really quick. He can be just like us. He can, from the external point of view, he can be the same as us completely. From the internal point of view, he adds and he subtracts, meaning it's going to take a few generations for his seed to really become part of the system of, of what it is that we're developing here. At the same time, he's bringing qualities that, that we don't have enough of, and that's going to somehow give us something. That's the concept of every time there's an exile, which means you're going to gain, gain something from interacting with others, learning from them, even though you're going against your own nature, but their nature is going to enhance your nature so that when you come back to your nature, you have something to show for it. Right. So, so that's, yeah, so, so, so the Erev Rav is, is an ancient story that when Klai Yisrael finally ate from the Etzachayim, they couldn't live there. They couldn't stay there. In a, in a simple um, a nutshell, you see the, the, the reason you'll call maybe some of today's leaders, right, or the way it's being represented as um, a manifestation of the Erev Rav mm-hmm. is that they're leaning too much to one side, meaning they haven't, that balance that Yaakov represented. They're leaning to Gvura. They're leaning towards the physical actions are Judaism and everything else not so important to God. And that couldn't be further from the truth. The heart is important to God. Everything else, he's willing to negotiate. (laughs) But what needs to be in that heart? For that, we have all the rituals and all the teachings. There's a wisdom here of what needs to be in that heart. How is that heart supposed to see the world? Right, but you're saying it starts from there where they're saying it starts from the actions. Well, in the the Gemara, it says, Rahman Alibabai. Right? In the Gemara it says, if someone learns Torah without Yerashimayim, the Pesach says, Why does a fool try to purchase wisdom? And it doesn't come with the heart. Your only tool to be able to purchase wisdom is the heart. Otherwise, you have nowhere to put it. Wisdom cannot reside just in the brain. The one that knows reality from fiction is the heart. The heart gets offended by things. The brain is a freelancer. He's ready to work for anyone. He's ready to work for you for any of your organs, for people outside of you, for ideas, for something you saw on TV, he's open. And that's Dafka because he's from a higher level. The head is from a higher place. So the head sort of belongs to the collective. And so the head doesn't even distinguish between good and bad. It's the heart that knows how to distinguish. And the heart has been damaged. So that's your... So, so what, what's your barometer today that the path you're on is taking you, to use your own words, is, is not taking you to hell? Well, I'm not sure that it's not taking me to hell, but I know that I'm reducing whatever conflict there was between me and the source is being reduced by me learning the original sources like the Zohar and realizing that my soul is very blissful with the truth. And so that realization allows me to, to back, back away from hell, sort of. And hell is a very deep place. Like, if you look at the world today, everyone is in hell. Because nobody's experienced real security. Nobody's experienced real love. And some people will say, but well, I'm fine. You're only fine because you're in hell. So you think this is fine. This was not what it was meant to be. If you were fine, then your face would be shining. And you would have praise on your lips all the time about <laughs> life and the, and the creator. And if that's not happening, if it's not kolan shomata hallelujah, that means that you're in some type of a conflict. You're in some type, you're not really fully excited and you're not really fully in agreement with what's taking place. The definition of that, the way that our sources call it, is hell. 
Hell is the place where we think we are smarter than God, or we think that God maybe made a mistake, or we think that God has forgotten. All this can only happen in hell. In heaven, this doesn't happen. And how do you balance this with, with being discerning, as you mentioned? Meaning if I'm, if I'm seeing something and I'm not okay with it mm-hmm. because I think it's not a good part of the world, right? I should, I should change it in much the same way that you're trying to change something by introducing um, conscious Judaism, right? Mm-hmm. There's something you're seeing in the world that says, hey, it's missing this. Let me inject mm-hmm. you know, this little bit of medicine into the world. So how, does, how do you balance that with being okay with what is oh so that's why i was saying i don't know that i'm i don't know that i'm not going to hell because i'm not okay with what is <laughs> uh, but i'm headed in that direction for two reasons one because the things that i'm realizing are appeasing my soul are bringing me back are allowing me to find comfort in the way that the world was designed and that's always in existence even if people are making a mess it's not the people who decide what reality is they just decide the circumstances you're going to have to go through but reality is directly between you and the creator. So if I'm happy with reality, I'm shifting towards a place where I'm going to be okay eventually. That's number one. Number two is by doing what I'm doing, I'm proving to my soul how real and important these things are to me. And that liberates me. That means I'm not this. If I'm this, I'm in hell together with everyone. But if I'm not this, and the proof is the fact that I can't live this, I can't make peace with it, I can't just go through life and it's okay it's not okay so that liberates me from whatever is going on over here so i'm on a path to leaving hell right here so i guess maybe one way of saying it is that your barometer is an internal state of peace well that's the way that it's been described to me by the swarm for example speaking about hell the czar says hell represents the gallbladder. And this relates to the nature of how the body works and how the different forces within the nefesh, like within the soul, there's different forces. Each, Each body part has a piece of soul, has a little soul that's running that body part. And it has its own opinions about what needs to happen and if it's okay with it. The big one that we're all aware of is the heart, right? The heart has a reaction to what's taking place. But so do all the other parts. And so when a person gets angry, the gallbladder comes into action. And this is what results in acidity. And this, a lot of the things that I was suffering from, anxiety, not being able to sleep, not being able to eat, a lot of it has to do with the liver and with the gallbladder and with the spleen, the forces that are creating digestion, and also the stomach that helps you sleep, right? In the Sefer the stomach is related to sleep. That's why when we have an empty stomach, it can be hard to sleep. The stomach has to be just right, not too full and not too empty. And so the, the gallbladder is, represents hell. And that's because whenever we engage in something against, we're getting food from the gallbladder, we're getting motivated from that. And so people feed this. People don't even know that they're feeding hell. But if they have a desire to watch an action movie, they want to feel adrenaline, they want to feel stress hormones. They don't want to go into danger to feel it. Right. But something inside of them needs food. What needs food inside of them is the gallbladder. He wants to, he's used to a certain schedule and now it's his time for food. And so we'll see people with bad moods and they constantly have to be in a fight with someone. This is all part of keeping homeostasis, keeping the, the, the right hormones and the right 
neurotransmitters engaged so that they have continued uh, desire for life, continued ability to, to, to be here. And so when we receive our motivation from the gallbladder, that's a world that's called hell, according to the Zohar. This is a Rai Mehemnev, Parshas Pinchas. If someone wants to see more, there's a whole discussion about that. And he even discusses how the, in, in some, he has different metaphors of how to go, gain energy. Gallbladder attitude. equals anger, the way you're describing it. Equals, gallbladder equals hell, and it's, it's part of anger. There's different parts of anger. There's mashchis, af, and chaima. So there's di- three different types of anger, all relating to the, those organs over there, the, the, the liver, the gallbladder, and the spleen. But, but the, when this gets activated, so then... Are there good English translations for those three words? Mashchis, af, and chaima? Mashchis, I would say, means destruction. And so it's a type of anger where it's, it, the focus is not even on the anger. The focus is what can I hurt, what can I break. Af is the anger that we're usually used to that relates to the nose. It's like when a person starts breathing heavy and he, he gets really worked up. And chaima is more like rage. It's like he's been already so aggravated that he's not even sure what he's angry about, but he certainly knows he's angry. Right, and so, so does everyone else. So, so we say, Vuhu Rachim, Rachim, he's compassionate. Yechaper Oven. Oven is the source of all these three. So it says, Vuhu Rachim, Yechaper Oven. Velo Yashchis, right? he will not destroy. He keeps on returning his anger. Velo Yorokochamosa, he doesn't release all his rage. And so this, this Pasik relates to these forces. And these are the forces of hell. There's no other forces of hell. Even Moshe Rabbeinu, when he's afraid because who's going to do a sin and like, and, and they're going to be destroyed. What does he say? His language is, I was afraid of the anger and the rage. So even Moshe Rabbein at his level is still afraid of these midas because the midas are, they belong to the infinite one. And he, these midas can go without limit, just like his love and just like Even his taking it to the story of the Baal Shem Tov, he right. would say the same thing, that right. frustration with what he was right. Right. seeing right. in the future, exactly. banging his head against the tree. Exactly. So that's, so that's hell. He experienced hell in those moments. For sure. And, and this relates back to the Erevrav. The Erevrav feed off of these and they're comfortable with it. Versus a, a soul that's authentically Jewish, he, he cannot live with this. And so we'll find people who will, will run to all kinds of escapes and we'll say, oh, these are the weak souls. No, these are the real souls. These are the souls that know that this is unlivable. Right, the, the, uh, the addicted souls. Yes, the addicted souls are the souls that leave because they can't handle it. Those are the souls who remember that this is wrong versus the souls who have forgotten and they're okay with it. Right. And so if someone can completely forget and be completely okay with it and think that God is enjoying this, that's for sure Erev Rav. That's one of the, it's one of the simonim of Erev Rav, is that to him, this is okay. His soul doesn't have a problem with it. So interesting. Yeah. Because we're not in our natural territory, right? We've lost home. So like David says, If I want to remember the wisdom and how this is supposed to work, then my kindness will be lost. The Yemin is the, is the chesed, is the right hand. So I will lose my ability to be kind if I think that this is the way it was meant to be. But help me with this contradiction. So you're saying the Erev Rav is okay with it. Yes. But being okay with it was also symbolic. Like being okay with something, that's not any of the energy of anger, destruction, rage right but being okay with anger destruction or rage oh okay it's being okay with that yes because that's it. what we're living and so to be okay with that shows that the soul has been disconnected there's a chorus right the, the soul no longer remembers its natural state it doesn't remember the world was created for it it doesn't remember it's supposed to enjoy this process 
it doesn't remember that the Tachlis is Lisanagel Hashem. It thinks, well, he created this obstacle course and he wants us to go through it and it's fine with me. If it's fine with you, you're not his son because he's not fine with it. He cries, he screams, all the prophets, if you read the prophets, they demonstrate anger, real anger at how Claudius was behaving. And this is, not, this is not fake anger. This is not the choice of the individual to be angry. This is the collective saying, you're violating my principles. You're destroying my world. So you, you're seeing that as like a rage against rage. That's v'chora af Hashem b'chem, right. V'chora af Hashem b'chem means that if we violate the principles, then the anger of the collective will suddenly appear within us. And then that will destroy our ability to procreate. That will destroy our, uh, everything that we own. It will create an energy that will just... Today that we live in these concrete jungles, we don't really see the effect that we're having on other things. But on YouTube, you could find sometimes these little studies where someone speaks nice to rice or some plants, right. or like all these things where you see that the plant is reacting to your energy. And, but that was known before because people lived next to their sheep, next to their animals, next to their plants. And so whenever there was war or there was something where there was a lack of calm or things weren't going right, so then the animals wouldn't bring children the same way and the trees wouldn't bring fruits the same way. And it would be very obvious that there's a soul here that doesn't just reside within man and is separate from the world. No, there's a soul of the world and man gives that soul direction. Man gives that soul an interpretation in order to know how to vibrate, what frequency. And the frequency is what results in the fruits and in the plants. And the whole volume Shmoya is just a basic observation if you live in the right circumstances. Today, we are so separate from soul that we can live in these types of environments and think it's okay. So where do you, where do you see this going? What's your, what's your goal for, for your work? My, my goal is to raise awareness and to, I want people to go look for themselves. I don't want them to take my word for it. I'll just give as much as I know so that they can have a jumping board to, so they don't have to do all the legwork that I did in order to get to some very, very basic uh, principles that you can't even enter without them. And so I'm just sharing as much as I can so that people realize that there's something to go after. And then I hope they will go after it and let them tell me what they found. I'm, right. I'm perfectly Is there open. a possibility that you connected with the rabbis you did for whatever reason, and then someone else will connect with, with others. Meaning, absolutely, but I don't think anyone can skip the czar. The like, czar. Yeah, my 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 route was Reptzalik Akoin, although there was a lot of other things. But I'll give you, this. These were the highlights: Reptzalik Akoin, and then Rabbi Avram Abulafia, and then the czar. Avram Abulafia is approximately. Avram Abulafia is about seven hundred years ago. A bit controversial. He wrote a lot. He believed that he was Mashiach. And he was a prophet, and and then uh, in, they went out against him, and the whole story. But later on, he was accepted that with Arizal, and Reb Chaim Vital uses him, quotes him a lot in in Shai Kedusha, in the fourth parak that wasn't printed, and also in the Ramak, he brings him in the Pardes, and so he he was everywhere. He got around, and and he has a, a very interesting system of of how he sees the world. He received secrets from gener like that was given over generation to generation that he knew. This was before Desire was printed. And he revealed a lot. And he also is very clear about the fact that the way that it seems is not the way that it is. And in fact, he says that the reason it's called Sisrei Torah. Sisrei Torah means the hidden portions of the Torah. But he says Sisrei also means Soter, to take apart the Torah. 
to to it breaks the Torah, it breaks the pshat because suddenly you see what's really hiding behind it. So it's, in a way, it's soter the Torah; it contradicts the Torah. Oh, and so he, so so he makes that connection, and meaning sometimes in going deeper, what's on his face is not only elucidated it's contradicted it's not sometimes this this will be the absolute experience of anyone that will look for the truth in this in this case because the face was created for the gentiles for others for our enemies the face was not created for us and it was hoped that we will be wise enough and compassionate enough to always look beneath the face but then the pasuk says if we won't be wise if we won't look for the truth what I imagine to do to the enemy, I will do to you. Meaning that you will bring upon yourself a vision of reality that will destroy you because I never meant to say those things to you. I was saying them to your enemy. But if you're not connected to your, to your soul, then you won't know that and you will think I'm talking to you. So the Torah was, uh, is, is very intimidating and it has to be. It was given in a time where people killed each other and people had no problem doing anything. It's not like today where, where we think we're civilized, so why do you have to be so strict? Well, in, <laughs> inside of ourselves, we're not so civilized. In the world of thought, we're, we're maniacs. But in the world of action, we're pretty good. Nevertheless, when the Torah came, people were also in the world of action, wild animals. Like they killed holy people, good people, big people, like... Right after Martin Torah, where we have the Erev Rav comes in with the, with the eagle, right? The Erev Rav created the eagle. That's why Kadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe, Lech red amcho. He says to Moshe, go down because your nation has sinned. Like, Moshe doesn't have a nation. God has a nation. So they say, no, it's talking about the Erev Rav. Your people, the people that you chose to bring out, they have sinned now. They have caused trouble. What was their message there? What was the confusion? that? So what, that... what happened was that they realized that they are in they are in direct communication with the divine at all times. And they realize that everything that they do affects all the heavens and all the worlds. And the, it's consequential beyond, beyond limit. And it was very hard for them to carry this burden. So as long as they had Moshe, they felt, okay, we can lean on you. But once Moshe was no longer there, they, they were intimidated by the amount of responsibility and the direct force that they have to interact with they couldn't do it which had just happened which had just happened well even when it happened they weren't ready to go through with it they were supposed to hear 10 commandments and they only heard two after that they said we can't handle this why don't moshe should listen and he should tell us <laughs> and so they they still needed the middleman and moshe said if you need a middleman oh boy the suffering that you're bringing upon yourself because no middleman will ever understand you and so when they looked for a middleman in the eagle, then Moshe made a new lichos. And the new lichos was not like the old lichos. The new lichos was a dead lichos. It was different. It was a man-made lichos. And that relates to a situation where we want to encourage the Erev Rav to take charge of us. Meaning? Meaning that we want those people who have extra gvura, that they should become our leaders. Because the people who have extra chesed, they will not survive this. If the people who are kind were running us throughout the, the gullus, there's a lot of things we wouldn't have been able to survive. Kind people don't survive well in, in, in a violent uh, environment. And so we need more gvura. We need more people who have muscle. And so the, the, the Jews turned to the Erev Rav for leadership when Moshe wasn't there. 
And now the new Torah was going to give power to these people that they should be able to be in charge until we survive, until comes someone who can reveal to us the real meaning of things. Because Moshe knew that it's not going to last. As soon as we didn't stand the first test of not having Moshe and being okay with it, so he already saw the devastation that's coming. It wasn't possible to avoid it at that point. Right, I can see how um, going, to, like start embarking on this path of exploring these concepts in this way can create a cognitive dissonance. Oh, definitely. It must. It must. I mean, there's no that way, is the goal. There's no way through without first having multiple parts and not knowing which one to follow. In fact, uh, Abu Lafia had 15 years, I think it was, where he had, this is how it started, this revelation, where he had all kinds of spirits and, and they were abusing him. He, he was not well. And he, he didn't have any teacher that will tell him how do you navigate in the world of spirit? What's the right approach? Because spirits are the forces that come and tell us things. We call them thoughts, but they're not really, they're in our thoughts, but there's something there spiritually that's, that's talking, right? It's, it's, a, mm -hmm. it's a portion of an nefesh, so to speak. But it's, these, these, are, these are angels that are constantly delivering messages. And then based on these messages, other angels get formed. And based on that formation, we come forward with sentences and speech, like even what we're doing now. There's millions and trillions of angels involved in every sentence. Otherwise, who would compare all the data and, and decide what needs to come forth? I'm busy. I can't do it right now. <laughs> so it's all happening there, right? Right. And so this process of, of creation, of, of dressing up, is something that comes forth from within the soul, and then it takes form. And they're not necessarily in agreement with each other, these spirits. These spirits are created from our attributes, or created by the spheres. Like, so if I have a mid of chesed in me, it means that I have a desire to be kind. I have a desire to connect with you. I have a desire to be understood. That desire is part of my conversation here, right? And, but at the same time, I also have another, another side, let's say the Midasai Gvura, which is more about me. I, I want to be understood. I want to be at the center. I want to be the most powerful man in the room or whatever, whatever it might be. Mm. And so this is part of our nature that the spirits are not going to get along. And only if my soul is, is, is healthy, will it be able to somehow unite all the spirits into one collective force. And so therefore we see, like in schizophrenia, it becomes very obvious where the, the spirits start arguing with each other. But even if the spirits are not outright arguing with each other, they're arguing unconsciously. They're doing a little ping pong thing. Going it's always happening. And so this, this removes our spiritual power because to the extent that they're in conflict, it means I've lost. It's, they're fighting against each other and cancel each other out. And that's, that's the power of my soul that they're using. So I have less soul. As long as I'm there, there's conflict in my spirit, I have less soul. And so, so you see the end state as well? And so I'm saying that in order to leave a way of thinking, a way of how the soul... Has right, it, it has to go through this. It has to go through a part where one half is going to say this and one half is going to say that. And then this half that's being built, hopefully, if it's more accurate, it's eventually going to win the other half until they all unite with one message. And that, that's the yichud. That's what we're looking for should happen, not only in the individual. We're looking for that to happen around the globe. Meaning that right now the, there's conflict and therefore the force that created us cannot reside within, cannot unite. The same thing happens on the individual level. It's, it's a metaphor, one for the other. Understood. So, so um, who is there to, to pick someone up 
Meaning, you gave the the caution of the Abu Lafia, right? Which got spun out for fifteen years, right? Abu Lafia also wasn't printed until twenty years ago because uh-huh. it was so dangerous and so powerful. It was all the Xaviad, but the Xaviad made it throughout the whole world. In the Vatican, you have tons of it, and it was translated. And people worked with it throughout the generations, but it was never printed. But I'm saying these ideas you're you're sharing, I can see how it can create a lot of wake conflict. up things, of course. Right. Wake up truth. And it's what truth you want to do. The truth. The truth needs to come out because right now we're in conflict over the wrong things. We're anyway in conflict, but we're we're conflict about politics. We're conflict about sports. We're conflict about nonsense and people that cannot. Help so you us. understand what you're doing. I, I understand that this is what needs to happen. It's not me that decided to put us in this situation, but I understand that if we are in this situation, we need together to take this seriously and really look at the source material and come to conclusions because everything is on the line. It's not a theoretical thing. We're already living it and we don't know how to do it. And so the importance of this is 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 beyond. There's the famous quote of... Um, where it says that um, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody knows. And then one of them made it through, Rabbi Akiva, the other three didn't make it. So Ben Azai, he, he died in the process. So it says, on, on Ben Azai, it says, the Pasuk, that it's precious in the eyes of the Creator when someone dies out of his kindness, meaning that he's looking for the truth and he needs it and he knows he needs it. So even if he dies, that's still better than someone who didn't try. And so I'm not recommending anybody take it to that extreme, but anything we sacrifice for this purpose is extremely valuable in the eyes of the soul. The soul is waiting for us to do this. Okay, so similar to your message of the, uh, the Baal Shem Tov with the guy in the inn on Shabbos that exactly. very much driven by intention. Exactly, and it says, it says by the Mechabal, like Abchaim Vital writes, that it's not possible someone should come in to learn a Kabbalah and not make huge mistakes on the very basics of belief. Because as he's learning and he starts thinking about things he never thought about, he's going to make very big, substantial mistakes. And yet he says, we must go through this process, otherwise we can never get to the truth. And the beliefs that we have before were not better, it's just that we're not aware. The belief that we have? We had before, not better, it's just that we're not aware. So the lack of awareness doesn't save us. The lack of awareness is what allows us to stay asleep. And so... I want to bring this awareness. And even this awareness, I don't force it on people. I make it available. So whoever feels that something is calling them, and usually it's people who've suffered, so then there's something, there's an alternative to be able to follow and to try to see where it takes you. Okay, if someone wants uh, more of this on your on your My uh, channel, Conscious channel, Judaism. Conscious is, Judaism. Yeah, uh, we have a lot of material in, in English and in Hebrew. And then you do stuff in person, you do stuff otherwise? I go with the flow. I don't have any specific uh, way of working it, but wherever I feel that there is going to be benefit, so I, I go with that, like speaking okay, with you, for example. Okay. <laughs> Did you get what you came for? Uh, we'll find out. I, <laughs> I didn't come for anything specific. I came to speak with this you, week. and I think Thank uh, you very we much. had a nice very, conversation. Uh, I yeah, appreciate it, it. Thank you. You definitely have me uh, thinking about a few things. Amazing. So a few conflicts in my Amazing. We woke some things up. What? We woke some things up. Yeah, which is good. Who was I talking to who said... Um, Gedalia Fenster, um, who said that, uh, I think he was quoting someone else, that if when I speak, I don't make people a little bit nauseous, then I didn't do the right... Uh, well, especially <laughs> when today. I, when, yeah. th- that's basically the message, is that we're asleep, but we're asleep in a jungle and we can be eaten. So we have to wake up and move to a safe place. Right. Yeah, I'm very much asleep to the fact that we're asleep. 
Right, right. But uh, I think there are parts of your soul that are aware that you're asleep, and especially that there's a part of you that feels uncomfortable with what other people are doing. So that alone tells you that something is not fully awake, whether it's you or the others or, right. or both. And so there is certainly uh, something that desires to know. And that desire to know is the part that's still awake. And that's how the desire describes the awakening of the soul. So it says, there's uh, someone there who asks his teacher, he says, when we speak about this intelligent soul, who, where do I find this intelligent soul? And so he said, when a person develops and he becomes aware, and suddenly he starts questioning, what is going on here? Who made this? Why did he make it? That's the awakening of the soul. So, so you want to encourage exactly what was discouraged for you? Absolutely. Yes, the questioning. Because I know what's on the other side. I know that there is a truth. And so for them, it, they were afraid of it because they didn't know there was a truth. So then if you question it, then you don't end up in the truth. It really is dangerous. <laughs> but once you but see, also the process is potentially dangerous as well. Dangerous, I think there's something dangerous else also. Psychologically, yes, but spiritually not, because this is what he wants. This is what is pleasing to Right, him. I understand that. But yes, of course, there are different dangers. Dangers socially, like other people, and people who are already ingrained in these beliefs. Like, for example, when the Balshemtov came out with his way, a lot of things happened, a lot of big fights happened. Yeah, he himself was put in Khairim. He was excommunicated from, from, from Judaism, basically. That's what people wanted to do with him. <laughs> well. But also the Ramchal, like anybody who had some, some truth to share. And then families broke up and people couldn't get along anymore and shuls broke up and, and, and people got divorced. And like, because suddenly what was established and, and real to everyone, and this is the way we do it, was questionable. And then it starts opening up things. But if we know that what's happening now is wrong, we have no choice to stay asleep. That if we believe that he is real, then we must face him like we face everything real. Okay. I think you probably woke up a few people today. Yeah. I know you have a flight to catch. So All right. safe trip back. Thank you so much for uh, joining us here. If you're ever back in um, this area, in yeah. this area, amazing. In the ranches, come visit. Sounds amazing. Thank, Thank you so, so much. much for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah.